Happy Halloween, everybody. It's Halloween today. Happy Halloween online. Glad to have you with us. Uh, New Linux, uh, Homer Glenn, really good to have all of you here. It is Halloween, so I just got to ask you, okay? When you were a kid, uh, or if you are a kid, uh, are you an eater or a saver? Okay, how many of you, the candy was gone by November 2nd? All right, all right, yeah, okay, I got you. How many of you made it to Thanksgiving? All right, yeah, uh, maybe. How many Christmas? Okay, yeah, I know, I know that you're like, I'm never going to get candy again, I I get it. Who else hid your candy from your sister so good that you forgot about it, only to discover that the mice had found your hiding place? Did that happen to anybody else? Because that happened to me. There's all kinds of different people. In general, how many of you would say, and elbows are allowed here, how many of you would say that you are spenders? How many of you would say that? You can elbow the person if you want. How many of you by nature are savers? All right? Okay, yeah. I mean, a lot of times God puts you together and there's a reason. How many of you are hoarders? Okay? Like, you know, that's your garage. Okay? Now you can start really elbowing. Let me, let me ask it another way. Um, let's go back to school. And, and do you remember what a simile is? Okay, it's when you say one thing is similar to another thing. Okay, so they have a contest every year, a simile contest. I love that. And, and here are some of the winners. She caught your eye like one of those pointy hook latches that hangs from a screen door. That's a good simile, isn't it? Or the little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly like a bowling ball wouldn't. Okay, that's a simile. Her hair glistened in the rain like nose hair after a sneeze. That won one year. It's not romantic, but that, it's legit, right? Or one of my other favorites was the whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality, like when you're on vacation in another city and Jeopardy comes on at 6.30 instead of 6 o'clock. But my all-time favorite is her vocabulary was as bad as, like, whatever. So simile is, this is like this, and here's the question I, had for, I have for you. When it comes to how you handle money... What would it be, okay? I give like, I save like, or I spend like. Robert Manning, the author of uh, Credit Card Nation, said, Americans were routinely savers until the credit era, which is like living on steroids, he said, at which point we stopped saving money and we stopped even living on our own means, and now we're borrowing another 20 or 30% every year and going further into debt. And we all know that that's been the truth in our country for about the last 20 years. But let me share something fascinating with you. I've been preaching this 80-10-10 principle for years. I've been living it all of my life. My parents taught it to me. We taught it to our children. So glad that I got a handle on it early in my life. But every time that I have preached this idea in my 32 years, and I do it a lot because the Bible has a lot to say about how we handle our money more than any other subject, okay? Every time I get up and I can tell you that the savings rate in our country is somewhere between 5 and 7%. And I'm talking about like retirement. I'm talking about everything possible. The savings rate is 5 to 7% which is not going to cut it in case you understand. So let me just show you the graph here, okay? 2016, it was 7%. 2017, is 7.2. We're doing a little bit better. 2018, oh man, we really got serious about it. This is American average, right? 2019, we went down a little. But look at this. 
In 2020, we saved 16%. The savings rate has risen to historical highs in the past 18 months. Why? Because we couldn't spend any money. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. You can't travel. You can't eat out. You can't go to movies or concerts or sporting events. So when you spend most of your time at home in your sweatpants, you can save money. This is the lesson that we learned. And your opportunities to spend money were much more limited. I mean, we still had Amazon, right? I mean, that's how our houses looked a lot. <laughs> but also, I realized, I think also we all realized that, hey, man, um, we don't live where we used to live anymore, right? Our, our jobs might not be so secure. And maybe we don't need all the stuff that we thought that we needed. So we stopped spending as much and we started saving more. And not only that... But the crazy thing is, if you own your house, it's worth a heck of a lot more than before the pandemic. That's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, who would have guessed that? So we're all doing great, right? Maybe, okay? So why are we talking about this? Reset. When I came back from the summer, I was like, man, before things get back to whatever normal is going to look like, and I'm not sure that's ever really going to be anything that looks like what it was before, before we start letting our calendars start flooding back in and getting filled up again, before we start letting our lives get filled back in again, before, before we realize we're kind of done binging Netflix and we need to move on with our life and we're going to fill up our time with something else before we start letting our savings go back down to 7% and our spending go back up to 120%. Let's think about it first, okay? That just maybe, you know, that chest pain and that numbness in your arm that you were having in 2019 was a sign that there was a problem. And just because the pain went away for a little while doesn't mean your arteries aren't still blocked. And if we go back to the same old ways, the heart attack is coming. Okay? So here's my premise. We have a Buffett problem. Too much Jimmy, not enough Warren. Last week, I talked about the prodigal. And the prodigal son got in trouble because of instant gratification, I want my money now. Because of self-destructive behavior, I'm going to go out and use my money on wild living. And because of thinking that there would always be more. Because at some point there was a famine and he ran out. So, I asked you to keep track of your spending in the past week. How did it go? Did anybody do it? And if you want to remember the scripture I gave you for it, it was not very nice, but it's the Bible. I just read them, I don't write them. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. A wise person saves for the future. You know who wrote that? The richest and smartest man in the world named Solomon. Okay? And so if we're in trouble like the prodigal, what do we do? We acknowledge the situation. Okay, you got to admit it, I am Tim and I am in debt, okay? Uh, you got to develop a plan because if you don't have a plan, you're never going to fix anything. And you head home to the Father because he loves you. And I want to remind you that if you need help with your finances, we're getting ready to do Financial Peace University uh, in January. I'd love to get you signed up. We're also going to have other things available for you. If you will text Financial Peace to 65649, that's our text number. If you will text that to, to that right there, take a picture even if you're not thinking about it. Just take a picture of that. Financial Peace 65649. Somebody will get back to you and we will help you. We want to help you in this area. 
Because, as I said, this is the single most talked about subject in the Bible. Four times more than love. Five times more than faith. It is a spiritual issue. Jesus said, if you have not been faithful in your use of worldly wealth, who is going to entrust true riches to you? See, here's the problem. Many of you grew up in a home where your spiritual life was kept separate from the other parts of your life. Okay? So you had your financial life over here, you, you had your, you know, your, 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 your relationship life over here, and your spiritual life was over here, okay? And your financial life was in this airtight compartment, and your spiritual life didn't really penetrate that. And, and that's how you grew up with money and faith. Just listen to your parents complain if they had to pay, you know, for your school at the school thing, or give money to the church, or whatever. It's just a separate thing over here. But if you study scripture, it is very clear that money is a scriptural issue. It's a biblical issue, a a scriptural spiritual issue. There's a rabbi who wrote a book called Jewish Spirituality, and in the book he talks about how in the first century, if you would have gone up to Jesus or one of the disciples or any of the Jews living in that day and said, well, tell me, how's your spiritual life? They, They wouldn't have understood the question because everything was their spiritual life. Matter of fact, this rabbi said, there's not even a Hebrew word for spiritual because everything falls under that umbrella, okay? Everything does. And if you think you can live your life with compartments, you're wrong because everything is spiritual. The Bible tells me that the way I treat my wife is spiritual. The Bible tells me that the way I raised my kids or help raise my grandkids is spiritual. The way I do my job is spiritual. The way I handle finances is spiritual. Great illustration of this, back in the Middle Ages, the Knights of Templar, who were becoming followers of Jesus, decided that they would get baptized, but in order to get baptized, they also knew that they were soldiers so they got literally got baptized with one arm on the sword out of the water you know they they went down like this baptized in the name of the father son and the holy ghost but but their hand never went under the the water why because well i I still need to kill people okay so so jesus i'm all yours except for what i do on the battlefield how i use this sword that's not a part of the deal And I think a lot of Christians today do the same thing. You know, they're getting baptized holding something up out of the water. Maybe it's their sex life. Maybe it's their views on culture. Or more often than not, it's it's this, right? Okay, like I'm all in except for this. Hands off of this. But if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, Christians, then we need to follow what he says we should do. And I don't see how you can be a a follower of Jesus and disregard what he says in any area of your life. I'm not sure you could say I'm a follower of Jesus and I know what he says about money, but I'm consciously going to decide I'm not going to do it. So we're looking at the biblical plan on managing money, 10-10-80. Give, save, and love the 80s. I love the 80s. And, and, and saving today is not easy because there's no biblical command on how much you should save. There's no 10% thing. We're making that up, okay? Giving 10%, the tithe, T-I-T-H-E, is talked about all throughout Scripture, and Jesus backed it up in the New Testament as well as all the Old Testament stuff. We're not, we're not tied to it. It's not the law. We're saved by grace. But as a general principle, the tithe has always been in there. But saving 10% is just a good idea, and, and it's not a biblical command. 
And I need to address a question to some of you who know Scripture well enough to argue this point. Wait a minute. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. So how does saving fit into that? Well, I'll, I'll explain it, okay? Jesus managed his money. If you study Scripture, you will find that Jesus had a ministry budget, okay? The Bible tells us that they had a treasury for doing their work and giving to the poor. And they had a treasurer. It was Judas, so the story goes downhill in a big hurry, okay? But what I'm saying is they didn't, Jesus didn't, just didn't go around for three years going, ah, just take a credit card, charge it to my dad, it doesn't matter. I mean, Jesus knows he's going back to heaven. He could have run up a heck of a bill if he wanted to, right, and, and just walked away, you know, and it, how, do you, how do you get money back from Jesus? He's up in heaven. But, but we're supposed to live in a way that honors God, and that's the bottom line. So my question is, does it honor God for us to go into debt on our credit card every time we have an emergency? Does it honor God when we have to depend on other people when we're old? Don't store up treasures in heaven uh, was Jesus' teaching about not worrying and trusting God. And to use that scripture to say, well, I don't need to save anything. I mean, it's like saying, well, Jesus said, don't worry about what you wear, so I'm never going to buy any more clothes. I mean, for some of you, that'd probably be fine. You got enough to get through the whole rest of your life. But it'd be like saying, well, Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat, so I'm not going to the grocery store. It'd be like deciding to jaywalk on the Dan Ryan at rush hour and just trust that God will take care of me. It's just dumb, according to the Bible, okay? In the house of the wise, the Bible says, are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. Again, wisest man in the world. But, but, but let's just be honest, okay? I just had to get that out of the way. I don't know very many people that are bad savers because they have a theological issue, okay, right? I mean, that's just not the way it is. And you know what? God's going to honor what you do. Many people in this room have given away parts of their savings, um, and I believe that God honors that. that. That's not the point. If we're disciplined in our money management, God is going to take care of us. The real problem is Jimmy Buffett versus Warren, okay? And here's what's really interesting about this, okay? I started preaching, I started this church in 1990, but it wasn't until 2005 that Americans actually started spending more than they made. 2005, hmm, what happened right around then? <laughs> like the Great Recession, okay? It didn't take very long for us to get in trouble. What happened? Andy Stanley calls it lifestyle creep. He says that as we make more money, our lifestyle expectations creep, and so you never develop any margin. And the only way to stop that from happening is to decide ahead of time that you're going to live on a certain percentage of your income, and not all of it, and not more than all of it. Like, for example, give 10, save 10, and live in the 80s. The Bible says your money will be gone in a flash. As if it has grown wings and flown away like an eagle. That happened to all of us, a lot of us in 06, 07, 08, right? When, when, when things started to turn upside down. And this pandemic scared us like that. So let's learn from the chest pain and the arm numbness and do something about it. Here we go. If you want to write these down, I'm going to give you five things. Number one, bring God into the equation. Whatever you do. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that everything we have belongs to God. Your money is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Listen to what Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay? Then. Okay? You honor God. I'm not saying if you don't get the 10%, he's not going to honor you. I'm saying you bring God into the equation, whatever that looks like, wherever you are, whatever you're giving to, bring God into it, okay? So when we do this, we give, God takes notice, and there's a mystery here that I cannot explain. All I can tell you is that it is 100% true. When you bring God into the equation, things change. One man gives freely yet gains even more, and another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. The generous are blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is what we know. Why is that? Well, it's called the God factor. 90% plus God is more than 100% without him. So whatever that looks like for you, bring God into the equation. That's the first thing that you should do. Number two, we should learn to appreciate what we have. Again, we did this. We did this for a, a long time while we were sequestered. We did this. We learned that, you know, maybe we can get by on the things that we have. I mean, do you remember how much you used to live on? Any of you that are over 30 or, or at least over 40 for sure, do you remember the leaner days, the first days out of college when you had no money, when you were first married or you were first out on your own? Are you happier now? I don't mean like more comfortable, but are you happier? The second principle about saving properly is about our attitude. And one guy said, man, I would be doing fine. I'd be out of debt if the Joneses would just quit buying stuff I can't afford. <laughs> the Bible says, whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? Here's what I want you to do, okay, today, before the Bears game, even, okay? Go home and declare your neighbor the winner. Literally just look over at your neighbor's house and say, okay, you win. You win. You win the car game. You win the boat game. You win the RV game. You win the landscape game. You win the Halloween candy giveaway game. Why are you giving out whole candy bars? What are you trying to prove? You win the Christmas light contest, which starts tomorrow, right? You win. Take your victory lap. Okay, here's your trophy. You could easily save just by declaring your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your coworker the winner and quit the game. Okay, but that's not our tendency because we think we just need a little bit more. Oh, sure, PT, I could save. I could save if I could just make a little bit more. If I could, I, I would have that margin to do some saving. <laughs> Surveys say that Americans think that if they had 20% more than they have now, they'd be set. And every year, they think that. 
And every year the GDP keeps going up, right? I mean, every year we get more, and somehow it just doesn't work. What we do is we're like, the problem is not me. It's not that I'm not saving enough. It's that I'm not making enough. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we'll spend right up to the limit of our income. So you have to understand that, that to be happy, that you've got to be happy and content with where you are right now. The Bible, again, it's so many scriptures, I'm just jamming them in here. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. Man, if Solomon knew about the internet, it would blow his mind. This is the scripture that you put on the top of your iPad, okay? So that when Google puts something, uh, puts an ad up for something that they know that you've been shopping for, and it pops up in there, then you can go back and go, whoa, 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 neither are the eyes of man, never satisfied. Or how about this one? Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Put that, put that on, your, on, your, on your phone. Make that your screensaver. Because if you don't have control of your money or any area of your life, you're like a city whose walls are broken down. And when your walls are broken down, you're vulnerable. Okay? Listen, every one of us is like that little kid at, at Walmart or Target or the grocery store who wants toy, uh, a toy or, or, or candy bar and is going to throw a fit until they get it. I want it. No, Johnny. I want it. No, Johnny, be good. I want it now. Okay, okay, I'll give it to you if you just shut up and be good, right? But the problem is, little Johnny still lives inside of all of us. And now little Johnny wants a boat or a new phone or whatever, and Johnny has a credit card. It breaks my heart, you guys. I just wish I could tell you how much I want our church to get it. Because it is life-changing. It is so much better to live in freedom. And this is our opportunity to reset before we go back to the old ways. Last week I said, just keep track. And if you didn't do that, do it this week. Just keep track of your spending. But this week we're going to try something else. Just say no. All right? To drugs, obviously. But, but just say no to spending. I want you to go on a spending fast this week. Don't spend anything beyond paying your bills, all right? I mean, buy your groceries, eat your food, do whatever, but don't go shopping. Don't go out to eat. Don't buy anything at Starbucks. Don't go to a movie. Don't pay for renting a movie and see what you have at the end of the week. People cannot save unless they get control of their spending. So this week, instead of going to Best Buy, you're going to no buy, all right? No, all right? And look, you make your own rules, just, just, just don't spend money on unnecessary stuff and see how easy it really is to say no and how much money you have saved. And if you're already living in the 80s, knock yourself out. Go buy yourself something real nice. If it's not too much trouble, get yourself something real nice, Clark. Because you get this, it's okay. Number three, Attack debt, okay? Why? Because debt is the opposite of savings. The average American, if you're taking notes, they the average American, it's like six thousand one hundred and I think seventeen dollars in credit card debt. Doesn't sound bad. It's six grand, okay? Do you know how long it would take you to pay off six grand in credit card debt if you make the minimum payment? The same as a thirty-year mortgage. Thirty years. Some of you will be dead. Okay, I don't mean to be morbid, but 
I mean, I'm looking out there. <laughs> 30 years, okay? That's minimum payments. That's so dumb. Craig Rochelle says, do you know why most Americans don't own an elephant? I love this. Do you know why we don't own an elephant? It's because nobody has ever offered you one for zero down, zero payments for six months. <laughs> Pay for it later. Otherwise, most of us would have an elephant in our backyard. Just say no, okay? Part of the savings plan is attacking debt because debt is the opposite of savings. Let me give you an example, okay? Financial advisor I came across years ago said the average car payment in America was $378 a month. It's more than that now, but I'm not going to go back and redo the math, okay? Uh, he said, let's just imagine that you at age 24 decide that you are going to buy a car and you're going to go into debt to buy the car. Your payment would be the average of $378 a month. But instead, he said, instead of doing that, you just keep bar, bar you keep driving the car that you've got, you buy a car that you can pay cash for, whatever you do, and you take that $378 a month and you just start saving it. And you decide, I'm always going to not have a car payment and I'm always going to put $378 a month into savings. Or you just do it, period. By the time you retire, you would be a millionaire. You would be a millionaire. So you could have that or you could drive a new car. It's your choice. So attack debt. And we'll give you help for that. Number four, anticipate the tough times. 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And this is what freaked us out when COVID hit, okay? And, and some of us, man, I mean, we lost our jobs. Some of you were, were in industries, in service industries, where you literally lost your jobs or, or you made a lot less money. And all of us were worried that that was what was going to happen. And who knows but what it still is. Okay? Our national debt is still kind of a big problem hanging over our head. So here's what the Bible says. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Why is it that ants are smarter than we are? The first thing you should do is get an emergency fund. Dave Ramsey suggests $1,000, what, whatever it is, an emergency fund. Because guess what? Something's going to break. Your car's going to need to be repaired. Then start saving up for a couple of months of expenses just in case something happens, in case you lose your job. Unemployment's not going to cut it, you guys. And the financial experts say that we need an emergency fund, but you also need an accumulation fund. You need long-range investments as a place to start. An accumulation fund is where you're saving money for, from one to five years for something that you know you're going to need to buy for that new car. If you save the money, instead of putting it on you know, credit, it's going to make a whole lot of difference in your life. It's also using that cash uh, to do long-range investment. It's also about saving for retirement. It's about saving for your family's security so that you can be generous in the years ahead. It's so that when someone asks you, how much money do you have in the bank, you don't have to say, I don't know, I haven't shaken it lately, okay? Are you with me? And the last one is, okay, we bring God into the equation, appreciate what we have, attack your debt, start paying it off and don't take any more, anticipate that tough times are going to come, and accumulate little by little. The Bible teaches us that the best way to save is little by little. There was an ABC poll several years ago that asked Americans, what is, what is your best chance at building wealth for retirement? And 25% of Americans said, winning the lottery. 
25%. I don't know if they were like, ah, there's no way I can do it. The only way would be winning the lottery. Or literally they were playing the lottery thinking maybe that was going to do it. But I wonder why we're having problems. Again, Proverbs says, <laughs> says money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. One of my favorite financial books on this subject is called The Millionaire Next Door. Some researchers went around to try to find out what wealthy people do to be wealthy. What are their spending habits? Do they have a budget? How, how, do, they, how, how do they think? What are their thoughts on money? So they went to the very expensive neighborhoods to do research. And what they found when they got there was that most people with a lot of stuff didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> and they were confused. They were like, well, where, are, where is all the money? Because these people were all what you would call posers. They've got the home, they got the car, they got the toys, they got the look, and they got the debt, but not the money. Then they went to the middle class homes and they found what they would call the millionaire next door. The average looking person who did some very unusual stuff in today's world, like the Warren Buffett problem. They lived beneath their means. They didn't spend money they didn't have. They lived on what they made. They oftentimes bought used cars. They rarely spent more than $50 for a watch. They stayed in the same home for years and years, and they simply invested a little at the time. They had the right Buffett problem, Warren and not Jimmy. Look, just give it a try, okay? I guarantee you, you will be one of the many people around here who are thanking me for it. I, I guarantee you. The Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is what I want to try to help save you from. And, and the, the pandemic has already kind of helped us move into that space. So what if we just stay there? This is an unbelievable, unprecedented opportunity to stay living in the 80s. We're going to do a worship song in just a second. There's nothing that our God can't do. It's not new. We've done it before, but when I, when I talk about inviting God into the process and trusting God but being responsible with the stuff that we do and knowing that it works together, just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see. My heart can't help but believe there's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word, you heal what's broken inside of me. Just one word, and you revive every dream. We're going to worship with that in just a moment. And please let me tell you again, um, God's not up there looking down at you because you're not spending money the right way, going, uh, I'd give you so much more. I just, can't, I just can't understand why you're being this way. He's not disappointed with you. He loves you. We're saved by grace. Jesus died for all of our sins, including 
bad money management. But I want you to know that there's nothing that our God can't do. And this is going to come from your heart, okay? When your heart and his heart are lined up together, you're going to see all this stuff happen. You're going to live in a place that you never thought was even imaginable. Because there's nothing that our God can't do. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you'll be with us as we, as we do figure out what the future looks like. Many people are changing jobs, changing locations. This is a, a reset opportunity. Maybe that's good, maybe it's not. I, I don't know. But, but it, it is definitely an unprecedented time in our lives when everything was taken away from us for a little while. All the peripheral things, all the extra things that we used to think were so important, they kind of went away. And now we're starting to add them back and we get to choose, we get to decide which things we're going to add back and which things gave value to our life. And more importantly, we're going to decide whether or not we want to live in harmony with you and your word and the way that you've told us how to do things. That's what Christ followers do. Be with us, Lord, as we're doing this. Be with us as we're, as we, all of us, I think our heads are just kind of spinning still about the pandemic, about, about the, the future, about what our world looks like. Help us to know that there's nothing that our God can't do. Just one touch heals me. You are our Father who loves us. And when you tell us how to live, It's the best way to live. We pray these things in your name.